0: All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry.
1: Radio on the River uh, as we go along, and, and we're going to also be talking... Uh, as you know, our, this is our monthly benefits program, and I actually do have our benefits person with us, and then, as I said, we're gonna, after we get done talking with Carol Ann, we are going to be talking to members of the board of Veterans Radio America and a couple of our storytellers that have been out here. I'm really sorry that you missed the opportunity to come out and uh, listen to their stories. It's been a great afternoon, a little damp, but we've been having fun, and we've learned a lot about people you can hear clapping over in the, uh, underneath the tent, we're very lucky to have that uh, available as well. Before we get really started, I want to make sure that we thank our sponsors, they've been very patient with us, and the uh, so number one is going to be Legal Help for Veterans, and Legal Help for Veterans is a disability specialized law firm helping veterans with their uh, disability cases. For more information, you can go to their website, that's legalhealthforveterans.com. Uh, NBBBC, the National Veteran's Business Development Council, uh, they are the leading organization for certifying uh, veteran-owned businesses. If you are a veteran-owned business and you want to do business with the federal government and many corporations, you need to be certified as a veteran-owned business. So go to their website, that's nbbbc.com, for more information. We also want to thank the Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor. Uh, for more information about them you can go to va.gov I'm sorry slash Ann Arbor for more information about them. Also we want to thank the Vietnam Veterans of America Chapter 310 here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. American Legion Post 46 also here in Ann Arbor. We also want to thank our sponsors for today's uh, fundraiser and that is the Fisher House Michigan and the Arrow Strategy Corporation. So Thank all of those people for their help and their continuing support. This day has been amazing to me just to get an opportunity to talk to these other veterans to help us raise funds for Veterans Radio. If uh, you weren't able, the sun is out. Can you believe this now? <laughs> if you would like to sponsor or help us support Veterans Radio, all you got to do is go to the veteransradio.net. And you can click on the banner for Radio on the River and make your donation there or just right through our website as well. Also, we have a lot of uh, what they call swag hats, sweatshirts, and all kinds of really neat um, things that we've got available for you as a listener. All right, here we go, right into the program now. So joining me in my subterranean studio here underneath a leaking deck uh, is uh, from Legal Help for Veterans. Is Carol Ann Foutsone. Carol Ann, welcome back to our program. Ah, oh,
2: thank you, Dale. What a great day! And you're right. Now the sun is coming out, um, uh, but this was so awesome. Um, I, I wish more individuals would have been able to partake today because the storytellers were spectacular. And congratulations to the first ever um, fundraiser. We'll have to do it again.
1: Well, well, we'll have to think about that. <laughs> no, we will be doing it again. Um, but not on, not under this. <laughs> Alright, so anyway, I asked Carol Ann to join us on a program today. Oh, by the way, if you have a question that you'd like to have answered today, you can give us a call. The number is 734-822-1600. 734-822-1600. Alright, so Carol Ann is our one of our disability specialists. Uh, affiliated with legal health for veterans. So what is it that we should know?
2: Well, I'm only going to go through a few major issues that have come up. And maybe next month, um, in October, we could really um, uh, describe all of these issues. But I want to give you, um, to our audience, a couple major announcements. The BA Family Caregiver's Benefit has now been extended to 2000 and 25, and that's benefits for the legacy. There was talk that they were going to do away with that program, um, and so um, I will say we could get more into detail next month. If you are concerned about it, um, I would ask you to give a call back to the VA caregiver support coordinator, and that number is 855 260 3274 and their offices are open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., believe it or not. And, um, I would really encourage you and 8 to 5 on Saturdays. I would encourage you to call. That is the VA caregivers legacy, um, family caregivers program has been extended into 2025. The other thing that I really would like you to look into is if, once again, there's been a recall on the CPAP machines. I don't know if you heard about that, Dale, but there is a concern now on, I believe, the Philips mask. And so if you have any issues, if there's anything going on, please call back um, your sleep apnea clinic and um, ask if your machine is involved with any recalls. And I do know with the mask, they're giving you some alternative suggestions to help you out with that. Um, please, we could go over this extensively or call our number and we could get back with you with answers if you have some concerns.
1: Right. Okay. That's, that's a big thing right there. Yes. The thing. I don't, I don't, do... luckily I don't do CCAP, but um, I know that that's an issue with many people out yes. there. Uh, you mentioned briefly when we were before we went on the air that the, um, you know that there were some
2: updates on the pack well there's been a significant one with the pack act being the the biggest ever the 2022 pack act and we just got a ruling um, scene of a new um, what's been added to that is what is called secondary conditions you know all the cancers that were listed and there is now um, where the veteran could go back if they've had related so that cancer during that period, radiation, surgery, chemotherapy, and have had um, side effects and some debilitating um, results from that, they could apply for that also into their claim. So we could talk more about that um, next month's uh Benefits, but that is also huge. Go back to whoever's helping you with your claim, whether it's a VSO, legal help for veterans, um, and we could help you with that to more develop that.
1: And the other thing is to make sure that you that you file your claim.
2: Absolutely, because this this PAC Act is unbelievable with the new additions for burn pits, um, Agent Orange going back to include some. Radiation and so, and Camp Lejeune, um, huge, um, developments recently.
1: So we want to make sure that, that all of those, those people who have an, a secondary claim or a, an initial claim, please, uh, make sure you file a claim. I mean, yes. The VA is making it so much easier for you right now. I mean, you can you can file it elect- electronically yes. if you want to, or you can contact your VSOs or legal help,
2: or any of the other legal organizations
1: yes. out there to help. And,
2: um, but yeah. I would encourage you, don't do it by yourself. There's there's no, it's, many, it's, and it's, we're experienced, and we know what we're doing.
1: Yeah. It, it's just way too confusing. Yes. yes. Right?
2: Yeah. All right.
1: Well, thank you, Carol Ann. Thank okay. you for just dropping by. And we're going to um, switch out our guests. And we have a lot of people out here hanging out now that the sun has come out. And I wanted to introduce you to one of our board members, For the uh, Veterans Radio America. And we are, (laughs) are, this is live radio, folks. (laughs) This is really fun. All right. So joining me right now on the line is one of our board members, as I said, for Veterans Radio America, and that is Lydia Pinkham. And Lydia, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you for having me, Bill. I wanted to know how you got involved with us. Why did you agree to get involved with us?
3: Um, Well, I met Kate Melcher through an SBA, the Student Veterans of America, um, University of Michigan chapter. We were doing a fundraiser, and Fisher House, Michigan was our um, chosen charity that year, the chosen nonprofit that year. So I actually met Kate Melcher at a benefit dinner for Fisher House, Michigan, became good friends with Kate. And after she joined the board, she reached out to me and said, we have this opportunity. We're trying to get a few new people on the board. Um, increase our outreach, and here I am.
1: Well, for those of you who are not familiar with Vestions Radio, Lydia is our social media expert now. She is helping Tammy spread the word. This is why we're so excited to have Lydia available to us as we you know, move into the future to see what happens with Vestions Radio. And Lydia was responsible for almost... this raindrop are falling on my head, the, uh, for putting this whole, organ- whole program together. And I just wanted to make sure that I got you on the air. I wanted to thank you so much for all that you've done to help us.
3: Well, thank you. It definitely wasn't a solo job. Had a lot, a lot of help. So. <laughs> it did. Thanks, Lydia. You're welcome. Thank you very
1: much. All right. I'm going to take a, a little break right now and do our Medal of Honor, which I hope that Derek did receive. All right. So... Um, when Derek plays that, uh, we're going to do our Medal of Honor series. We're going to come back, and we're going to meet some of our storytellers that we had here today at Veterans Radio America's Radio on the River. We'll be right back. You're listening to Veterans Radio.
0: The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. War officer Frederick Ferguson led a four-ship helicopter formation into a South Vietnamese Army compound under heavy fire. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. After completing a hitch in the Navy, Ferguson got his commercial pilot's license and then joined the army to fly helicopters. Two weeks after graduating from helicopter school, he was in Vietnam. On January 31, 1968, Ferguson heard that a first cavalry helicopter had gone down in Hue, and another had been badly shot up trying to rescue them. Ferguson and his crew agreed to go get them. While refueling, he asked three Huey gunships if they wanted to accompany him. They did. The G.I.s in the compound reported they were under heavy fire. Ferguson circled until the fire abated, then began a low-level, high-speed run into the compound. He descended blindly in a dust storm from his rotors. When he touched down, he saw there was only one-foot clearance on each side of his blades. The G.I.s jumped aboard, and Ferguson pulled up. A mortar shell exploded under his aircraft, spinning at 180 degrees. One of the Hueys was shot down, and the crew rescued. The other two were so badly shot up by the time they landed, they were no longer able to fly. Ferguson received his Medal of Honor from President Nixon on May 17, 1969. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio.
1: Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative, maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Oh, and we are back here on Veterans Radio and all kinds of sticky electronic noises, and everything else going on around here today. I actually feel like I'm actually flying, because I've got another rotorhead head with me today. So, sitting across from me, uh, my little control table here, is uh, Tom Skempsey. Tom was Tom a, um, I don't know, you were a gunship pilot in Vietnam in 1968-69,
4: correct? Correct, correct,
1: Dale. And Tom was one of our storytellers today, and I'm going to kind of go back and just kind of ask you just a little bit about, i will going give, give my audience a little background to you, that you are from Michigan, and you ended up, were you drafted, or did you go down and enlist and, and then kind of went from drafted to enlisted?
4: First of all, Dale, it's uh, great to be here with you. Uh, you're one of my heroes, and uh, thank you for your service, and uh, thank you for getting the word out, sharing with fellow Veterans that uh, there's a life after the military and uh, we can certainly encourage one another uh, not only by sharing our experiences but just in essentially supporting all of those that have been in the military and uh, it's just an important aspect I think for veterans at large
1: well I, I obviously I agree with you just the idea of us getting together and talking uh, today has been really fun um, you know you find out that there are other veterans out there that you didn't know were veterans, first of all, because we don't have a big V on our forehead or anything along right. those lines. But you suddenly mentioned, you know, helicopters or Fort Walters or, you know, Savannah or Fort Rucker or anything like that. And suddenly, oh, I was there. And off you go into the wild. Louisiana. We're not in the Air Force, but that's where it happens. So, oh, Tom, tell me, you, um, you know, you, you ended up being, as like I said, a pilot, a um, pilot as, as a uh, lieutenant,
4: correct? I basically uh, was a country bumpkin who uh, came from a family of uh, longstanding military uh, servicemen. Um, and I looked forward, in a way, to being in the military, although I was drafted. you really didn't know what I was getting into. But I received an encouragement from one of my uncles who was a hero of Battle of the Bulge, and uh, it recommended that I take advantage of all the schools that the Army proposed or, or allowed, or if you had the opportunity to attend. And so I had that mind frame, and uh, it just so happened at that time uh, in my service uh, when I got in in 66, uh, Vietnam was building up. Of course, uh, we all know that there was a, a need for aviators, and uh, so besides uh, enjoying the military, I uh, had the disti- distinction of winning the American Spirit Award during uh, basic training at Fort Knox, which uh, that meant that uh, really the uh, wonderful gift was that that was uh, the recipient of the American Spirit Award was awarded a four-year scholarship at West Point. Uh it's another long story, but uh, the short part of it is I didn't really want to go to West Point, and I uh, decided I would receive my commission, uh, hopefully, during Officer Kennedy School, which I did. To make the story short, right after Officer Kennedy School, I uh, uh, had the opportunity to go to Ranger School, become qualified, uh, excuse me, Jump School, then Ranger School, then Jump Master School, and uh, the Special Forces Officer course. And I was just really excited about wanting to have the best training. But then I had the invitation to uh, attend uh, flight school, uh, Rotary Wing Flight School, which I did. And similar to other pilots, graduated in February of 68, uh, excuse me, March of 68. And the same month I am flying in Pleiku, Vietnam, Southeast Asia, uh, very unaware of, uh, the environment and so on. But we received great training and we're so grateful for this training. And so, uh, just in a matter of months, I, uh, from a first lieutenant, I was promoted to a captain, became platoon leader, responsible for about 80 pilots and off, uh, enlisted men. And one of the most amazing times of my life, I, as I look back at it now, we, I think personally, I simply reacted, reacted as a good citizen, uh, as a good member of the armed forces. And, uh, when you do that, your attitude is right. It doesn't always work out. But for me, uh, um, uh, Vietnam was, uh, it was an adventure. Knowing now what I did before, would I like to be back? No way. Not even one little bit. Uh, but I certainly have appreciated uh that time of my service and beyond and uh particularly the camaraderie the the fellowship that you really experience in combat and um so it's good to be alive Dale
1: it is good to be alive so what unit were you with
4: i served with the 189th uh assault helicopter company which was part of the first aviation brigade uh, and um uh, everybody of course, uh, has an Esprit Corps involved in their company. The uh, 189th were called the Ghost Riders. I say this for the purpose of aviators who may be aware of that unit. But I ended up in the gunship platoon called the Avengers. Sort of a dark name now that I see it, but nevertheless, uh, that's the unit I ended up, uh, with, was the platoon leader of, and, uh, did all my flying with, uh, Essentially, I flew a UH-1C model, uh, gunship. And, uh, we carried 10,000, 10, to 15,000 rounds of, uh, 762 and, uh, 14 rockets and, uh, flew always in a pair. Right. And,
1: um, right, yeah, I, 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 I love gunships because they saved my rear end many, more than one time. It's kind of interesting when you said you were the 189th Ghost Riders, um, my company was the 195th, and our call sign was Sky Chiefs. But the second platoon, the, they call sign with the Ghost Riders as well. Okay. And so if you got here a little bit earlier, you would have heard me playing Johnny Cash's Ghost Riders. Okay, in the that's
4: a very familiar <laughs> tune and uh, certainly invokes a lot of memories, uh, particularly uh, that last 30 days, 20 days, 10 days. Yeah, that song really um uh, with, <laughs> thank with you. <laughs> And uh, but Tom also, you know, once you got out of the
1: service, uh, you went into the you didn't go into the family business, but it sounds like you kind of created a branch of it.
4: I uh, really wanted to uh, consider staying in uh, uh to put my twenty in, uh, but uh, as I I just made a decision, my wife and I, that we were not going to do that, and uh, ended up going into the exact opposite of. What you would find in Vietnam, and that is uh, uh, a peaceful landscape, and those who installed it. So I ended up, uh, we first of all had a flower shop. I was known as a flower child, which I really wasn't a flower child. I was in it because my mommy had a lot of nice flowers, and people <laughs> like flowers. And so don't say one word to me about flower child. I don't like it. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but i had a very we my wife and i had a a very reputable business in the area and um a flower business and then i ended up becoming a certified landscape uh designer uh which i did for 35 years uh under the name of Stemke gardens in this area very well respected and now my son uh matthew is continues as proprietor and uh life is good really life is good
1: life is good and I appreciate you coming out here and talking with us today and I'm hoping that you know maybe this is something that we can get to do get together and do more often
4: Dale, I want to say one more thing about life is good the reason life is good is because we have this wonderful support unit of other brothers and sisters that serve that understand uh, what who we are and and uh, we're simple folk that uh, need to be encouraged or we're very proud of our service and we're uh, we're, we're very aware of the need for all of us to, to just to honor and serve one another and, uh, to, to be good citizens.
1: Absolutely. Thanks very much. Tom am Thank you. All right. all right. As we switch out our guests, we're going to, um, want to remind everybody that they can go to veteransradio.net and make a donation to Veterans Radio. We greatly appreciate everyone who came out here today in the inclement weather. And it was really kind of an interesting uh, experience, as they say. As Tom just pointed out, though, I wanted to, you know, we, we talk about the idea of uh, when we were in the service that we protected each other and we had each other's backs. Well, we like to continue that now and make sure that we have your back now. We don't like the idea of, uh, of homeless veterans at all. We want to make sure that veterans get the health care that they deserve and the, any benefits that they are entitled to. And that's one of the things that we do here on Veterans Radio. Well, if you do want to support Veterans Radio, please go to veteransradio.net and click on support and uh, the tax-deductible donation now since we are a uh, 501c3 nonprofit corporation. So I want to appreciate everybody who has donated for our radio on the river. It's kind of a big adventure for us to, uh, to try for the first time. And it looked out. I think we're going to make a profit, which is awesome. And uh, so we're going to try this again uh, later on in the year or next year, and uh, learn about some of the things that we didn't do quite so well this time around. But anyway, joining me on the uh, air right now is Brian Gowan. I want to make sure I pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> Gone with the Wind. And I met Brian first through the Fisher House organization, uh, again, through Kate Meltzer. Everything seems to go through her, seems like right now, these days. And Brian was one of our guests today as a storyteller. And unfortunately, I had to go and get myself all set up. So could you kind of give our audience a little background on your military career? Because I know it started off, you were talking about your dad at Iwo Jima.
5: Family. And uh, my father uh, served in World War II. He was in the Navy. He was actually like a 90-day wonder. You know, he was a teacher. had a deferment. They had a couple boys. And he realized, hey, someday I need to be able to look my sons in the eye and say I served because all these people have done this. And so... Uh, he got his officer training at Princeton and then uh, deployed to the Pacific. And uh, He was at uh, Okinawa and Iwo Jima. In fact, he was one of the guys landing the Marines on the beach. He was in the second wave at Iwo Jima.
1: Was oh, he on a landing craft or LSD? Uh, he, you know, now you
5: can ask me hard questions.
1: I know. I, no, my dad was in the Coast Guard, Yeah, and he was on Iwo Jima as well. Oh. And he was on an LSD, and he went yeah. in, I guess, about, I don't know, I like can Late that afternoon, or the next day, and the front of the ship opened up, and you know, yep, everything came out of it.
5: Yeah, he was actually landing guys in the landing craft. Oh you no, know, he was on the ship that do that had the landing craft, and okay. then he actually was one of the officers that took him into
1: the beach. Oh my,
5: so uh, pretty powerful. In fact, he, you know, my dad was a rugged man. Uh, he taught school for uh, forty years. You know, um, the only time I ever saw him cry was uh, right before he passed away, as many of World War II that's never really talked about it. So, the end of life, um, he was telling a story about you know, one of the Marines that he befriended you know, on the journey and the, the way. And uh, uh, he, had, he was telling the guy, You need to get your guys off this, as soon as we can. When that gate comes down, you go. I mean, he said it a little, probably a little right. more profanely than that.
1: More colorful. And
5: uh, he said, I'll be the first one off. And he was. And he made about two steps. My dad told that story, and then uh, he was very proud I went to the Naval Academy, but he never wanted me to be a Marine, <laughs> and I respect that.
1: So, what did you do in the service? What was your job there when you were in the Navy?
5: So, I was, uh went graduated from uh, the Naval Academy in 1982, I grew up in Niles in the west side of the state, uh, did four years at the Naval Academy, and then I went to flight school, and I... uh Got to fly F 14. So, if you ever saw the movie Top Gun, oh,
1: uh, I was oh, shoot, goose.
5: Huh? I was goose. Only I oh. lived.
1: <laughs> oh. You were in the backseat? <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right.
5: So, I um, uh, got commissioned in 1982, and uh, I was able to fly most of my career. I was in uh, my first tour, I was on the USS America and a Fighter Squadron 102, the Diamondbacks, and then I was a on uh, the wing staff and a uh, flight instructor. After that tour, and then my next fleet tour was with uh, VF-11 Red Rippers on the forestall. And then I uh, uh, did an instructor tour again. And then I was uh, in the VF-32 Swordsman and flying off the Eisenhower. Right. and then i did uh, went to the war college, got my master's in Naval War College and then I did a joint tour overseas at the NATO headquarters in Norway for two years and came back and then I was the XO and commanding officer of fighter squadron 41 during 911 uh, flying off the u s s enterprise
1: right i understand. I understand that you were you were called up like uh, for nine eleven
5: yeah, we were actually, we had just finished doing you no-fly know, zone operations. Uh, we were on deployment. This was about five months into deployment. We had trained all, or well, we knew we were going to be flying over the no-fly zone over Iraq. And uh, we had actually done some combat missions as late as, you know, summer 2001 in Iraq. People don't realize for 10 years we were flying, patrolling the no-fly zone over Iraq because they would either shoot missiles or they'd attack the Kurds or whatever. And so we were there to continue to, you know, decade mission of, of protecting that area and uh, in fact we they had been shooting at the no fly zone things and if they did that at that time uh, the policy was we would do a retaliatory strike okay. and try and take out the sand so we had done several of those In September 9th we were on our way home you know we had finished up we'd spent all summer in the Gulf it was incredibly hot right. uh, we were all excited because we were on our way home the ship was going to sail you know, around the south coast of Africa, maybe do a port call in Brazil and Cape Town and then go home and we'd be heroes. And, uh, September 10th was, uh, we pulled out and then, uh, after the last strike, September 11th was a holiday routine. You know, everybody kind of a take your break. We've been working so hard for the last month and a half and, uh, walked into our squadron ready room, and you know, they're six hours ahead there, and we all slept in, because we'd been up and on night strikes before, and doing everything, and uh, TV was on, and I walked into the ready room, and my duty officer said, hey, skip our airplane just at the World Trade Center, and that was it. The our carrier CO turned the ship around, we were off to of Africa, and we just we were the first aircraft carrier on station. Our relief had just gotten there, they came out of the Gulf, and then they sailed the Kitty Hawk up. So there were three aircraft carriers. The Kitty Hawk had special operations aircraft on there, and then the two other carriers had no more uh, naval air wings. And We just get ready for the first strikes in October.
1: Uh, you know, I, it, I I just find all this stuff. This is why we do this program, folks, because you you run into people that have had experiences that most of us weren't aware of at all, and and we get to, and we get to have. You know, we get to find out about these things that we don't read about in newspapers, obviously, because, you know, they're not going to tell us any of the stuff that's going on. But I, I, I just want to uh, thank you, Brian, very much for being here and for supporting Veterans Radio America and uh, being one of our storytellers. And I, I need to, I need to talk to you again.
5: Well, it's a privilege to be here. You know, I was in town because I work for the Fisher House Foundation and we just dedicated the Fisher House at the VA in Ann Arbor. Right. A great privilege and we're really looking forward to being able to we're working with the VA, the John Dingle VA in Detroit, and our goal is in the next year, hopefully, to break ground on a Fisher House there as well. So we'll have that will be the second Fisher House in Michigan.
1: That's awesome. Thank you very much. My tonight. privilege. Thank you. All right. While well, we switch out again, we are here uh, live on Veterans Radio, and we are talking to some of our speakers that were on uh, here for our fundraiser on Veterans Radio America. And here we go. Uh, I don't. Um, <laughs> those of you that know me know that I don't remember names really well, and so I was just asking uh, Williams to turn his name tag around so I can make sure I don't screw it up. But Anyhow, so we appreciate all of you that have supported Veterans Radio in the past, and we're hoping that you'll support us in the future. We've been doing this for 19 years. Probably the proudest thing, the best thing I've ever done as far as uh, public service is concerned, I think, with Veterans Radio is we've got to tell over 900 stories. We've got over 500 podcasts out there now. If you want any more information about Veterans Radio or Veterans Radio America, just go to veteransradio.net. And you'll be able to find everything. It's a pretty user-friendly website. And uh, we're excited to to, um, attract more and more listeners. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for more and more listeners. And we're looking for more and more stories. So if you have some stories that you think that we should cover here on Veterans Radio, just click on the contact button and send me an email and I will get back to you. I promise. Just don't send us a whole bunch of emails wanting to redevelop our website. That's what I've been getting a lot recently and uh, we 're pretty pleased with what we 've got for those of you that are out there listening and uh, so yeah, send us your story ideas, and we 'll try to uh, incorporate them into our programming or into our podcast as we continue on into the future. i really don 't like saying going forward so all right joining me right now is a little bit younger veteran, and this is a william Kirk, Kirkstra and bill is a we go by Bill or William will. Will, okay, and he is a, another Marine, and <laughs> so we're going to find out a little bit about more more about William. So, William, tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from, and how did you get into the Marines?
6: Yeah, Dale, I'm from uh, Charlevoix, Michigan, originally. Graduated from Whitehall, Michigan. Um, I joined the Marines uh, shortly after 9-11. Uh, took a couple years uh, to graduate, but I was ready to fight, and, and uh, I... Uh, Marine Corps just seemed to be the branch, I think. Uh stepped foot in the recruiter office and he said, uh, well maybe you can be a Marine if you're if you're good enough. I said, I'm good enough <laughs> and uh so I had to prove it to him and it was just in uniform, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh I, I joined uh like I said, two thousand three, uh, wanted to go over and uh you know and do that that patriotic duty that so many uh had already been doing, but uh you know, felt a sense of responsibility and wanted to uh wanted to carry on that mission. Well,
1: so- when you were in the Marines, what was your occupation? your MOS Originally,
6: I was a 2087. I was a radar technician for artillery, but I wasn't a very good one. So I ended up,
1: uh, <laughs> I what, ended up. What does that mean? You didn't hit your targets or what?
6: No, no. <laughs> I just, uh, it, it, I ended up uh, uh, going a different avenue uh, and then became a, an 0531, which is a civil affairs non-commissioned officer. So uh, we would um, do um, different uh, different sort of um, civil uh Different programs, uh, coin counterinsurgency operations, things of that
1: nature. So you were part of the program, sort of that would win the hearts and minds of of wherever you were.
6: Correct. There was a big push for that, uh, and especially Iraq and Afghanistan. But I was mainly uh, mainly involved in uh, Afghanistan in 2010.
1: Okay, and what were were your duties there?
6: the duties in, in two thousand and ten we, we essentially deployed we, we, we trained as a detachment for civil affairs it was actually modeled after the combined action platoons um, in Vietnam so you know you were kind of embedded with the locals, getting to know them, figuring out what sort of things that had affected them negatively or positively and, and trying to uh, really um, just kind of get the locals to uh, not be scared of you, which was uh, you know not always an easy task um, uh, during those times uh, but um, we, we as a detachment, we, we trained together but got split up, and, and it was uh, a little lonely. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, civil affairs, and, um, you know, they kind of scatter us to the winds, and uh, you get attached to the infantry units and go out, do your patrols. Um, you know, after any sort of battle damage or, you know, uh, loss of life, uh, you would meet with the village locals and uh, kind of discuss uh, reparations, if you will, uh, what those things were valued at, what you could pay somebody for, and that was all done with uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars. We called it uh, the SERP fund, but it was the Commander's Emergency Response Fund, and that was just to, you know, essentially things to, um, you know, kind of uh, soothe uh, the local populace. Uh, you were also looked at as a passive intelligence gathering, so you kind of got what we called. Uh, you were looking for what um, what we called as atmospherics. So, you know, are the locals really mad? Are they are they you know, sort of mad? Are they are they being friendly? And you would report that back to. Man and, and kind of see you know whether or not you were having progress in the area of operations or not. Um, so um, a couple of different things, but uh, all essentially you know higher level stuff. You know, sort of the strategic campaign. You were kind of the the, the tactical level of that.
1: You were you were telling a story earlier that I found rather humorous actually, is that before you went to Afghanistan, you went through a, a language school um, quickly on Russian.
6: Pashto, yeah, that's a Pashto, Pashto. Um, It's a a local, uh, Helmand Province. It's a a very unique language, um, Helmand in Afghanistan. Um, it's it's similar to Spanish and how you conjugate the verbs, but um, the Marine Corps uh, felt, uh, I guess, nice enough to send me to uh, San Diego State University for three months uh, to do a crash course or an immersion course of Pashto. Um, so those those classes were about eight hours a day for for three months straight. So uh, you get your get your money's worth. Um, but uh, I picked it up very well. Um, you know, could speak elementary Pashto, but they uh, after uh, the they had made me a uh, a pay agent um, and given me all this money uh, in in country. The kids used to follow me around and call me a paisa siree, which in Pashto means money man. Uh, so you, you can understand. I mean, when you're you're on a foot patrol and you're you're trying to be as incons- inconspicuous as possible, and all the kids are following you around and calling you "money man," it's uh, it's a little unnerving.
1: Yeah, involved. but what you you were carrying around some, some significant cash in your.
6: That's back, typically it? about a hundred thousand dollars but it was all in Afghanistan. so it was in their local currency oh
1: okay um, i thought you were carrying around benjamin or something <laughs> no no it wasn't no i mean it, it's
6: still the same value uh, but uh i think the i think the exchange rate was one at the time so oh, you know give
1: them a wheelbarrow
6: yeah so it's a it's a, it's a very large backpack full of cash and uh and the, and the money's kind of funny we called it funny money or monopoly money but uh yeah. it's, it's, it's a little different than ours but uh after counting it all day, uh, you know, your fingertips would be uh, red or blue, depending on whether or not, you know, what denomination you're working with. Oh, right. and, and so you'd usually have, you know, you'd kind of lick your fingers to count the bills, and you'd have red and blue on your face. And uh, it, it, it was a trip. It was, it was an interesting experience um, spending U.S. taxpayer dollars. Uh, I, I didn't realize that I had been spending taxpayer dollars. I, as a young guy, I didn't really know, uh, you know, the impact of that. I started reading some different books, um, which, which we can talk about some other time, but I just really... It really kind of hit home that I was spending this taxpayer money. And, uh, the original, the, 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 the initial project that I would do was building bridges to nowhere and kind of, uh, we would look at spending this money as a measure of effectiveness. If we could spend more money, we could get, uh, you know, that, that town of Marja, um, which, which we got, um, you know, deployed to, we could, could get them up and going and get their local infrastructure back in order. Um, what ended up happening uh, towards the end was, the, you know, understanding and, and kind of having this guilt and this burden of spending taxpayer money abroad, I, uh, I stopped building what I called these bridges to nowhere and started building freshwater wells, um, as many as I could uh, for the locals, because um, I'd seen children, you know, walking for, you know, a half a mile or a mile with these pails of water because there wasn't enough freshwater wells. And So I uh, kind of thought to myself, I'm going to spend taxpayer money on something overseas. Uh, it might as well be freshwater.
1: Yeah, oh, I think that's something that's awesome, we did similar things uh, in Vietnam. I mean, I, I know I, I didn't personally, but there were uh, units, as you mentioned, that would go out to villages, and they went out and they did they did medical care. They did, you know, they build schools. And they, you know, you know the CBs would go out and build stuff for them. Yeah, absolutely. And so on and so forth. And the idea of because of, you know you're trying to show that you're good guys, even though you know, even though sometimes you got to blow up stuff nearby, that you know that you're really a good, you know, we're good people. And that we would really like to help them out as much as we can, if they'd let us. And also, as you mentioned, you know, kind of on the side, any information that you might be able to pick up that says, you know, bad guys. Well, you know, you just built this whole new well for us or school or whatever it is. There are some bad guys over that hill.
6: Yeah, exactly. You might want to yeah. think
1: about you know, that, checking that, out. That
6: was that was the that was the, the kind of the intent of the 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 coin operations with the. the to do that, but uh, you know, I can I can empathize with the locals over there. Um, you know, like I was saying uh, earlier today, um, you know, the uh, it, 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 it's a little unnerving to have, uh, you know, a foreign power in your country, and and, uh, and and a lot of the locals. What I found were, you know, they were just looking out for their wives and children. Um, you know, typically is, is, is the word that I would get back, and uh, you know that, that that ruffled some feathers on some some reports that I would have to send back. You know, or and fire up the chain of command. It's just that. Um, you know, uh, they just really don't—you uh, do don't want to talk to us right now. <laughs> and, yeah, I, mean,
1: uh, I can't imagine why. You know, I, I'm always amazing people don't understand that. Because most people just want the same things. They just want, you know, a roof over their head, safety for their kids, education, food, and yeah, so I, forth.
6: I, I think the, I, yeah, I think the, the basics are, are, are what everybody typically wants. And uh, you know, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was, I was very arrogant when I was talking with one of the village uh, elders and, and I said, uh, you know, you are a young guy and, you know, I'm a Marine, so I'm, you know, cocky by nature, but I had this backpack full of cash and said, uh, you know, I can build you anything. What can I get you? And he said, you know, just leave, you're scaring my wife and kids. And that was really kind of a pivotal moment for me, um, you know, coming through the ranks and understanding, um, you know, what, what I value and, and uh, you know, obviously I'm married now and a father uh, with two sons. So it's uh, it, it resonates a little differently. Now I can, I can put myself in that man's shoes and, and uh, you know, it, it, it was a it was an interesting experience, very life changing.
1: <laughs> Anytime you go into a combat zone, it's, it's a life changing event. I, that, I, it doesn't make any difference whether you're on the front lines or in the in the rear echelon. No, the you stories
6: know, the stories we heard earlier were amazing.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and you know, you still have that opportunity of never knowing where that next rocket's going to come from. Like one of the stories I think that, that uh, our friend Horace Fraser told, you know. is doesn't make any difference, you know. You can run when there's mortars coming around, or you can walk. You don't want, you just never know exactly where they're going to land. So,
6: yeah, absolutely. No, there's <laughs> uh, there's danger and everything. You know, I'm happy to be uh, home, safe. Uh, obviously, I've been out for some time, but it's nice to uh, uh, really appreciate what you all are doing uh, at Veterans Radio. I think that, um, you know, as, as I'm getting older, I just I, I realize these stories are to be cherished, and, and that um, the, the Veterans community is, is a, you know, that's home for me now.
1: Well, I, I appreciate it very much, well, and uh, hopefully, you know, we can uh, partner up on some other things as we go along and tell more stories and get your generation more involved. You know, the uh, World War II, unfortunately, those veterans were pretty much almost gone now, and luckily, I was so happy to see Guy Stern the other day. I didn't realize he a 100 years old. Um, for those of you that listen to Veterans Radio, um, Guy's been on our program a couple of times. He, he was a Richie boy. And what a Ritchie Boyd did was they were American Jews who were recruited into the army to go over to Germany to convince the Germans not to do what they're doing and to interrogate uh, German POWs. You know, guy's amazing.
6: That's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. I, I think you touched on something really important if you don't mind. But if I, I had the opportunity to to, and, and I'm thankful for having talked to as many World War II veterans as, as I have. Um, but like you said, a lot of them are, are, um, you know, they're leaving us. And, and, uh, so I'm looking at these, uh, Vietnam veterans now. And I'm just, I, I, every time I, I see a Vietnam veteran in a store, I have to shake their hand and say, thank you for your service. And, and if I get an opportunity to talk to him, cause I, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, I wish I would have done more to capture some more of the stories of the, uh, of the World War II veterans and, uh, you know, and, and the Vietnam veterans that we have, you know, they're, they're, they're to be cherished and, and, and to, to listen to as well. And, and I hope we, we can, um, you know, make sure that we capture those stories.
1: We want to capture those stories. We also want to capture your generation's stories because they're different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as much as we have a lot of things in common, wars are different, technology is different, everything is different. You're not lying. Oh, and you guys deployed a thousand times. We only deployed <laughs> once. So, you know... <laughs> and i got out when they tried to send me back
6: (laughs) well it wasn't all bad the brothers and sisters i mean we do a good job of taking care of each other Uh, the student veterans organizations across the country college students you know going to different places i mean they're they're, we're a tight group i mean when when we call each other and we need help um you know whatever it may be mental health help um you know or just you know just some camaraderie to share things um you know we they pick up the phone
1: that's very nice yeah i think i think it's great i think it will for being on our program yeah, today. So. It's nice meeting you and, uh, hope to see you again soon.
6: I'm sure you will. Thank All right. you very much. Thank
1: you. All right. You got three minutes to go. And, uh, so I'm looking around the room here. Hey, come on over for a second. And, um, just throw the head headset on there. And we'll see what we can do. All right. So joining me right now is another one of our organizers. And we've got, uh, Kate and cat culture here. Cat's a dog. Uh, or service dog. Okay, <laughs> Kate. Thank you. For, you know, thank you so much for everything that you, that you and and Lydia and everybody else has done to put this whole thing together.
3: I'm, I can't tell you how I feel. It's it's an absolute privilege. Obviously, every time being on the radio with you is wonderful. But there was something really special today, and and this whole weekend, I felt a, a community that is warm and tight, and it keeps growing. You know the the four featured storytellers that we had today. I hadn't heard their stories before, and yet to hear. And his, I knew two of them. Right. You know, <laughs> I've known Mr. Semke my entire life. We went to church together at St. Andrews in Saline, and I never even knew he was a veteran until very recently. And it turns out he's a Silver Star recipient, and his stories are incredible. And Major General Henderson, oh my word, to to be a black man in the service, in the Marine Corps, going to the South for the first time in the middle of Jim Crow laws.
2: Yeah. It just, it
3: went for him to fly into an airbase and take his helmet off and see the shocked <laughs> look on everyone's face that that black man flew that airplane. <laughs> yeah, how can he be doing that? These stories were, were incredible. And, and the community that was here to listen to those stories in person, you could feel the warmth. You could feel the support. You know, veterans taking care of veterans, it looks a whole lot bigger now. It's the spouses and the parents and the children. They're all showing up because they want to support uh, what you do here at Veterans Radio and beyond.
1: Well, I, I, I thank you for those kind words. And, uh, again, thank you so much for, for helping us put this whole thing together. And we didn't even have any thunder and lightning, but we've had a pretty exciting time out here on Veterans Radio. we got a minute to go. So I'm going to say thank you, Kate, very much. Thank you to Kat. Our thank pleasure. Thank you to Lydia. Especially thank you to Dr. Eric Rutz for letting us use his uh, Huron River Yacht Club for our uh, very first <sighs> <laughs> fundraiser for Veterans Radio America. We want to thank all of you for, for tuning in. And please, go to veteransradio.net if you believe in what we're doing. If you want to support us, please, make your donation there. And we'll be back next week live. I'm not sure what the topic's going to be, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be interesting. So until then, this is Dale Throneberry for Veterans Radio, and you are Dismissed.